like everything you touch or do, like yesterday, most frustrating morning because I brew coffee and it spills all over my counter and I have like zero coffee. So not only do I have no coffee, I'm also just miserable. And so... (laughs) Welcome back to this week's episode, and I don't know why my voice sounds deeper. Yeah, you kind of sound sick. Does it feel? I don't feel sick. It just sounds deeper. Yeah, kind of sounds like, sick. <laughs> Welcome back. That's <laughs> what I feel like right now. But um, we are excited that you're tuning in with us. We've had several weeks off, I think, since the beginning of the summer, and part of that is just uh, camps and VBS and babies and life and uh, what we'll talk about today a little bit kind of mission ventures um but it's been a fun couple weeks around here things have been kind of smooth i would say nothing really crazy going on nothing really rocking around too hard uh parking lot got restriped so that's a huge weight off of my shoulders (laughs) it looks really nice yay it's all the only thing is is they striped everything on that black top at you like you all come in one way and then they angle it all um, so it's whatever. Was it not supposed to be angled? You know, I kind of took my hands off of that a little bit and I was like, I'm just going to trust you guys. And it wasn't, and it was more of like some of the thoughts that are, some of our teams had coming into that time. Um, they had kind of some, some ideas and direction they wanted to run with it. And they communicated that to the contractor. Contractor said, Hey, we'll put paint down however you want. And, uh, so I just kind of let them run with it because it's, it's, I don't know. It probably should have been a bigger deal to me than I guess it is. I haven't looked that closely. Is it all angled the same way? They're all angled the same way. And there's like one, it's like one way. So each lane is one way towards the back of the building. So is the thought that everyone will exit like going around the back of the building and coming think, out the other side? I think so. It's to kind of control traffic. But if it were me, I would have had one coming back the opposite direction. But that's yeah. just me. Well, how'd it work on Sunday? Did I we think notice? I think it went fine. The only thing I noticed is our city trash truck uh, decided to get trash yesterday, which is fine. Um, but they've already put a nice rut kind of in it. So that was, that was, you know, that was nice of them to do that. Um, go ahead and break it in like that. So at least it wasn't me. But we also have like school buses that turn around there. I've really? noticed. Yeah. Like every day there's like a school bus that comes in and turns around there. Not a big deal. It's just, it, when you don't have a newly resurfaced blacktop, it's not a big deal because you're like, I don't care. You're actually helping it out, you know, by crushing it further into the ground. <laughs> uh, when you have a newly resurfaced blacktop, you're like, come on, man. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't do that on the balcony, buddy. And uh, so anyway, that's done. Now we just got to get the carpet replaced and we were getting some lights put in this week and that's been fun. I, I think my least favorite thing is tracking electrical breakers all over the building. I don't like doing that. I wouldn't even know how to do that. Oh, you go to your panel box and go, is that turned it off? No. no. Okay. Oh, yeah, is I that do turned that. it off? <laughs> no, yeah, it's the same thing. So they're not like mapped out at all? There's no... I mean, I'm sure that there's one somewhere in the recesses of this building, but where and how... I mean, if I if I could read like an electrical schematic, I could probably tell you, oh, hey, here's where it's at. Um, but we renumbered the back half of the building at some point. And the numbers didn't match the install. So now it's like going through and finding all the new numbers and mapping it in there. And it's kind of a, let's just work on that as we need to basis. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. 
but um but we're getting some new exterior lights mm. which most of those haven't worked since i got here well no no when i got here they worked great but as led technology has improved getting some of those sources and resources just becomes more cumbersome so we're getting it all switched over to led so we don't have to worry about so it all of the things i taught you in seminary stuff you're working I on i haven't learned this <laughs> the only thing i learned in seminary was how to say yes to every request <laughs> it's like which we could go into the boundaries on that one but we'll do that next week um but this week we're going to kind of look at uh, ministry and missions. And this has been kind of a big topic, I think, for us over the past weeks for our church, because we're now coming out of what, you know, we're seeing kind of a post-pandemic world and people are kind of wanting to get back to normal, which means that us at our church, we're trying to rev our our missions ministries back to a normal swing but it's also given us the beauty to explore new areas and new avenues of ministry and missions. Um, some of the ways that we've been doing that, we've, you know, our, our missions team working with outreach has done a lot working with our parks and rec department. Um, they have done a lot of uh, what they would consider outreach ministries and things that they want to continue to do uh, here. And um, so we're, we're partnering with them. We love that they're, that they're doing that. But we also have um, some excitement building back up for our ministry in Belize. And so that's one that we are exploring right now of some new areas and avenues that we could uh, work down there and continue to help in that country. Um, but even Travis, Travis has kind of explored some new areas with some people from our mission team. And I'm going to, we're going to spend kind of a day talking through that because he just got back. He literally went to a wedding spent a few days off, mm-hmm. came back for half a day of work, packed and then left um, and flew to San Francisco with uh, what's supposed to be you, Nathan, and two other people from our missions team. But then Nathan got COVID. And so it was you and yeah, two so people from our missions team. <laughs> I took three days off and was out of the office for two weeks. So figure out how that math works. Um, but yeah, so unfortunately Nathan got sick and wasn't able to come, but, um, Chuck and Crystal Medley came with me and we went to work at a church and, uh, more than a church nonprofit called City Impact, um, in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco, which is like the inner city, Mm -hmm. um, real rough neighborhood. Um, I actually spent two summers there in college and so even though I had lived there for almost six months, um, it has been eight years since I spent any extended amount of yeah. time there, and I kind of wanted to see how the neighborhood has changed, which there were some changes, and see how the ministry was doing, because, you know, like, I get their newsletter and stuff, but sometimes right. it's different when you're actually there on the ground, and so just kind of wanted to see it all for uh, myself, and then we were really trying to gauge, like, if this would be a potential mission trip for high school students or if it was too rough and we wanted to only take college and yeah um or if we just want to open it up to the whole church and so that's kind of still being discussed but um but yeah we had a great time um but yeah i mean you have history there yeah so it's not like it's just oh i found this place online let's go there like you like you've got experience being there so like what what are some of the things that city impact does So like I said, it is a church, Uh but they're a church that is running like seven days a week. Oh, wow. And um, 
So like a like a church. <laughs> what I mean by that is, um, they don't think of themselves just as like a place where people come for Bible study and worship, and right. you know maybe pastoral counsel, and like that's what ninety percent of people think. Ninety percent of churches, um, they say that they exist to intervene on behalf of the people of the tenderloin and practically what that looks like is they have what they call the rescue mission which monday through friday every day at 11 a.m they pass out groceries and then at three o'clock they have sort of like an afternoon whether you want to call it late lunch or early dinner they do a small worship service bible study and then followed by a hot meal and they do that every single day and anybody is welcome so it's mostly, I would say, homeless people, but then there's also some people that um, live in the Tenderloin that aren't homeless, but you know they're living in the worst part of the city. They're um, just struggling to make it. And so they do the rescue mission, which feeds roughly 500 people a day. Uh-huh. Um, so they have this massive commercial kitchen, which also feeds the staff and kids of their school. So there's the rescue mission, the school, and the school is a private school so that they're constantly pointing their kids to Jesus. Um, these are kids that, as you can imagine, rarely grow up with both parents. Um, they're surrounded by all of the problems of the inner city. And so it's just a way to try to catch them early, give them a glimpse of hope, show them that there is another way to do life. Um, and so that's kindergarten through eighth grade. They also have an after school program called City Kids, which is open to kids in the school, but not just kids in the school. So even if they go to school somewhere else, uh-huh. like kids in the TL, the Tenderloin, um, can also come. And it's like after school program, sort of meets youth group. And then they do various things. Um, everything from like fun movie nights to helping with homework, just anything to love on the students. Um, they also run a thrift store called um, Threads for Therapy which is really cool. Um, They don't want to just be doing handouts. And so this is an opportunity for people in the TL to um, sort of take ownership of something. And, you know, even if it's a dollar or 50 cents that they're buying a shirt for or whatever, um, still not a handout. Like they hopefully worked for it in some form or fashion. And um, all of the money that the thrift store makes goes to paying for therapy that their students in the school, like if they need therapy for one reason or another, um, it goes to funding that. So um, that's really cool. Um, they're also working on this new thing called the Design Lab, which um, they've got a whole bunch of different things going on there. Um, but it's basically any sort of like arts, music, fashion, um, just sort of an outlet, the Tenderloin, although it's extremely poor, is also kind of known for being an artsy district, um, both musically and like film, photography, um anything in the arts and so uh you know the band maverick city yeah so they're actually partnering with city impact and they're gonna like come in and set up a recording studio in the basement and then like work with the kids in the school on like learning how to record music whether it's you know rap or hip-hop or whatever and like put out albums that's pretty sweet um so i was like man that's really cool um so yeah, there's just a whole bunch of different things. Um, I forgot to mention the adopt a building program, which they've 
picked out various apartment buildings in the Tenderloin and they deliver um, groceries to the building as a whole, but also they'll find residents that are shut in, whether they're wheelchair bound or whatever, that just have a harder time getting around and then they'll deliver food straight to their doors. And so just a lot of different avenues of how do we serve our community and like I said, seven days a week, never stops. Um, so it's just kind of like a big hub. I mean, yeah. really. I mean, it would be like as if all of the, you know, not all, but like most of the problems of Nacogdoches were in one community. And then it was like Love Inc. and Glory Gang and Heartbeat and, you know, all of the various nonprofits in Nacogdoches were like under one umbrella. Yeah. Just combined into one thing. Yeah. That's a pretty interesting concept. And I think it's, to me it's neat because you do actually have this kind of a what we would call like a city on a hill type thing i mean where you have this this beacon or this light that is captured on top of you know a point where people can see and they know that that's what goes on there um but the tenderloin district you're talking about being primarily poor um but i mean all of us if you if you get a glimpse of Fox news or anything at all, <laughs> like, you know that there's a lot of stigma that comes from even just being in San Francisco. So is that even a large part of that population? Like, is there a, a large uh, population that, that deals primarily in like homosexuality and, you know, a lot of the LGBTQ and all that. So is that a, is that a large part since it's, it, it sounds like it's got a lot of the makings for it, but. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's a lot there. Um, one thing that was different was the Tenderloin has now also been called uh, the official trans district of oh, wow. San Francisco. Um, who made that call? I don't know. The community um, probably. <laughs> but the interesting thing was like, even Chuck and Crystal were saying like, you know, they may have the flags and stuff everywhere. But it didn't feel like that. We didn't see almost anything oh, okay. that would, you know, be screaming you know, pro that community or even like people of that community. Hmm. Um, and I mean like at all. And we were there Monday through Thursday morning. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think a lot of that community, especially with the help of the internet is very loud. Gotcha. But even in San Francisco, it's like, you're still a very small minority of people. Yeah. Um, but they like the, but they they try to make it sound like this is who we are like we are like not like they but like in in San Francisco there's that big push of like yeah this is this is who we are we are affirming that we are this but in reality you've got a very limited population that really affirms that most yeah. of the people that most people that believe in or practice in a lifestyle of that they come from outside the city in yeah. yeah they're coming there because it feels safe <clears throat> yeah um yeah, I'm not sure really how to think about that. Um, like well, obviously the the local politics <laughs> and politicians are supportive. Yeah, of that movement. Um, but I'm not sure. I saw a single trans person while I was there. That's awesome. Um, I mean, it's <laughs> but not awesome. It's it's crazy because it's just what you hear on one end, and then what you actually see perceived. Yeah. Because people go, oh, I can't go there or I can't do that because yeah. I don't want to see that. And it's like, well, yeah, but you, I can see that going into Walmart in Nacogdoches, Texas. You oh, know? For sure. And I think that 
And I think if anything, it's probably going to be more prominent in an East Texas situation because people are going to be uh, very loud about how they live. When you're in an area that's openly accepting of that, you don't feel like you have to announce who you are. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think that it, like for people here, especially like at Calvary Baptist Church, if they were like, oh, I'm not going to go do a mission trip to San Francisco because it's just, it's full of people that aren't like me. <laughs> well, yes. Well, yes. Yes. But at they the same are t- not like yeah. you. But at the same time, it's not like you're going to walk away and, and, be infected with something <laughs> like I mean if you step on a needle maybe but I mean you yeah. could do that in Portland and it would be the same thing um, you could do that in certain parts of Nacogdoches so it's to me it's the interesting aspect of um, for for people here when they hear about like going to San Francisco their red flag automatically goes off because of what they only see on the internet and on news media outlets that, I mean I literally had to say that to several people when they'd like I, I said something like, you know, we're, we're planning this trip to San Francisco and I had someone immediately say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then I had another one say, um, until I can take my gun, I'm not going. <laughs> um, yeah. Which like, you know, I get on the one hand, um, it is a scarier neighborhood than almost anything you'll see here in Nacogdoches. Yeah. Although I can take you to some parts of Nacogdoches that you'd probably actually be in more danger. Um, right. But it's like, okay, politics aside, uh-huh. views on sexuality aside, Yeah. if you believe the gospel and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that every single person there has a soul that will live for eternity, like, okay, we can put aside some of our differences, not saying that we agree with it or not saying that we are supportive of it, but you just show up and try to see people how Jesus would see them. Yeah. Um, but that's too easy. <laughs> no, that's too hard. Most people aren't willing to do that. Yeah. We, well, what I mean is we try to complicate it and we try to say, oh, well, you know, this, that, this, that, this, that. And, and I did worry about that when you were talking about wanting to plan a trip to San Francisco. I, I, I think I had been years ago and we've talked about my experience, which was way different than your experience. Like our experiences in San Francisco were completely different. Um, you know, we had a hundred kids at this youth ministry on mission there. So we had to, we had to play things pretty safe. You know, um, I think the only thing that was crazy that we saw when we were in San Francisco, cause we went in June and June is pride month. And so there were pride parades and everybody's driving around Lamborghinis with their pride flags out. And, you know, the mayor's office, the, the city hall, they've got a pride flag hanging down from their building. And to me though, the biggest thing that we saw was not so much, um, like LGBTQ stuff. It was just the vast amount of homelessness yeah. within the city, which I, has not changed. I mean, it's <laughs> the, the city itself the architecture, design, atmosphere, weather. I mean, you, you can name anything about the city, the, the topography and the climate. Gosh, it is beautiful. Oh, yeah. The weather was perfect. I mean, like it, just, 55 to 70 every day we were there. Just the city itself is gorgeous. Yeah. There's a lot of cool architecture. But then you look at that and in the middle of all of this beauty, there's just this vast amount of homelessness that they don't even... 
I don't want to say that they don't address, but they have prior, they had prioritized at that time supporting agendas versus supporting the people within their community. Now, granted, San Francisco is a very expensive place to live. It would be hard unless you're working in some tech industry making $300,000 a year. You're yeah. not just going to go out and buy a home in San Francisco. You know? Even then. I mean, we'll come back to the homeless stuff in just one second, but yeah. one of the, the teachers who worked in the school mm-hmm. told us the only way that they could afford it was because their spouse was a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> and for their one-bedroom apartment, they were paying almost 2800 a month. 2800 For a one-bedroom apartment. That would get you probably like a 5,000 square foot house <laughs> on two acres in East Texas. Yeah. So lawyer fees would be different in East Texas though too. So there's that. Yeah. Also true. <laughs> so it's still like the city is just incredibly difficult for people to live in. And even if you have government assistance, like I knew someone who had government housing and still had to pay a thousand a month for their yeah. apartment, but it's still even diverse too. Because it's like, so like most major metropolitan cities, they're divided up into different wards or different sections. Um, But to even see within, within California, but especially San Francisco, the diversity of people that are there, the concentration of the world that is within that, that small area is incredible. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because there is all sorts of different ethnicities, Um, you know, one of the fun parts about the trip was that we got to go eat at a few different fun places. And so like I introduced Chuck and Crystal to Korean barbecue. Nice. Um, We went out to lunch with some of the city impact people one day. They paid for our our lunch to talk about, you know, like long-term what our relationship with them would look like. And uh, they took us to a Vietnamese place Uh and that was phenomenal. Uh, And then on our last night there, we went and got Thai food. And so it's like three different types of Asian. It's like, yeah, we have Peking and I guess like Mr. T's in the mall. I had Peking on Sunday. I'm, I'm not <laughs> hating on it, but there's just, you know, a lot more diversity to Asian food yeah. than Peking. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, you know, kind of going back around to it's like, yes, there's diversity in the people that are there, but there's also diversity in the homeless population, which I yeah. think a lot of people just think like, oh, it's California's problem. Like, you know, they're yeah. doing a terrible job, which, you know, there's some credibility to I've, that. However, I've yet to, but I've yet to find a government that does a great job taking care of homeless people. I've yet to find one. So I actually read a really interesting thing about, I think it was Miami, like the mayor of Miami. They asked him like, how many homeless people do you have? And he was able to say like 87 or something. And they were like, wait, you know, down to the person. And he was like, yeah. And so... Huh. They're doing something right. Um, if it wasn't Miami, it was somewhere in Florida, big city. But um, but what I was going to say about the diversity aspect of most of the homeless people that we met uh-huh. were not from California. Really? In, in fact, I met a lot of people from Texas. Really? I met a couple guys from Louisiana, a couple people from Kentucky. Um, I met a lot of people from the South. And you ask them, like, so what brought you out this way? And, you know, some of it was, like, the various social services. Some of it was just, like, oh, well, if you're going to be homeless, you might as well live somewhere where you're not going to (laughs) sweat. I mean, like, 
simple things like, yeah, if I'm going to be homeless, I don't want to stink. Yeah. So I'm going to go live somewhere with perfect weather. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that wasn't what I was expecting, but it's, you know, it's not as simple as like, you know, just the state of California's failing like their own people. It's like probably more than half of the homeless people I met were not Californians. Wow. Um, now you could, you know, sort of play devil's advocate with it and say like, like the book when helping hurts, it's like, uh-huh. okay, all of your programs and your needle exchange and all of the soup kitchens and, you know, you're adding fuel to the fire of like making people want to be here. And I right. think, I think that's a valid argument, um, to one degree. Um, but it's not a simple solution. Like one of the things that Chuck and I were talking about was like, it's like, obviously there's a lot of problems. Uh-huh. But it's like, there's so many problems. And like, when we're talking about homeless people, like the city of San Francisco is only seven miles by seven miles. Yeah. It's, like, it's geographically tiny. Yeah. Um, and when I lived there in 2013 and 14, there was an estimated 6,000 homeless people. And now that number is somewhere around eight. Yeah. And so like in a seven by seven, you know, box yeah. with water on three sides of you. Like, there's just not a lot of room to go. Well, and, and it's like, I wouldn't even know where to start. And I think even when we were there, and these numbers are way skewed because it's been a long time, but they said that even the like population of San Francisco itself, like population of people living there in the city was only like, I think just shy of a million at that point, maybe like 900,000 or something like that. Like it sounds it, right. I don't it remember. Wasn't, it wasn't a ton of people, but on any given day, they would have like two or three million people pouring into the city on any given day. And so the infrastructure of the city just doesn't support the amount of people trying to either work there or tour there or um, just kind of find a place there. Like it just doesn't, doesn't match. And so it's, that was an interesting dynamic to me that, you know, that would be like you live in Fort Worth, but every day Houston comes up. And they just drive into Fort Worth. Yeah. Well, part of that's because like it's so expensive to live there that a lot of people who work there, like if you work for Facebook or Twitter or whoever, you know, you can live across in the East Bay for half the cost. Yeah. And then you just take the subway into work every single day because they've actually got really good public transport there. It's phenomenal. Um, So... But yeah, I mean, it's that, that city's got a whole host of problems. Some of it's caused by them, some of it's not, but it's an interesting place for sure. It's almost like they weren't prepared for a lot of their growth, I think, in the early years. And, and any time that that happens, I, it would be like if a big tech company moved into Nacogdoches and said, hey, we're offering 2,000 jobs. Well, and not just one, but yeah, you've got yeah. Twitter, Facebook, Google, Apple, like these are some of the largest companies in the world. And before 2007, almost nobody knew about them. And then overnight, you've got what, like four to five billion people on the planet using their products and services every single day. Yeah. So it's just, it grew dramatically, which is part of the reason why those companies started paying, you know, starting salary of a Google engineer I've heard is like 400,000. And so it's like when the city starts attracting companies like that, that can pay like that, it's like, yeah, you create a wealth gap 
yeah. um, to where the city really is too class. Like you're either super rich or you're barely making it. Like there's almost no middle class in San Francisco. Yeah. I, I always thought that was interesting too because. But arguably it's capitalism that did that. Now I'm pro capitalism. Yeah. But it was companies being successful and hiring expensive talent that caused that divide. Yeah. It caused the real estate to, to spike. Yeah. Um, interestingly, um, I read an article while we were there that um, real estate prices from August of 2021 to this August dropped 25%. In San Francisco? In San Francisco. Because, especially in light of COVID, all of those tech companies started working remote. And I actually read that Hawaiian real estate like went way up because of how many people in the Bay Area were like, if I can work from anywhere, like I'm going to live in Hawaii. In Hawaii. Um, That's awesome. And so real estate in San Francisco is actually crashing like is one of the fastest cities of going down. Now it's still super expensive for, you know, what we're thinking of, but it's relatively crashing. Um, the Salesforce, the company, uh-huh. like, they have a massive building downtown i mean massive and we were told there's only like 200 people actually working in it right now when it used to be like thousands and so all of these tech companies are scrambling i heard on a podcast talking about the city that like 35 percent of commercial real estate was empty wow and so well interesting you mentioned salesforce salesforce actually has a product called breeze breeze is designed specifically for churches (laughs) to help you track people (laughs) like your people like it's like our like we have realm and and uh but from my understanding is breeze is their equivalent to that interesting they've been been pouring money into it we were talking about um how city impact keeps up with all their volunteers and donors and all Uh that kind of stuff and they said they use salesforce so i wonder if that was what they use yeah yeah i mean that's supposedly it's a great process i met with one of the guys had lunch with him at one of my conferences and uh, he was one of the sales guys for it. They gave me a, uh, you could tell they were from California because they gave me <laughs> an aluminum straw. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but thank you. Um, in like a little bag. You Better than a paper can, one. Yeah, carry on a straw. I don't know. Yeah, those paper ones are terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh. But um, all right, so talk a little bit more about, we talked about homelessness. We talked about all that that's there in San Francisco, but tell me more about City Impact. So you guys were there. Y'all got to experience street ministry, soup kitchen. What are some of the things you guys got to take care of? Yeah, so we did get to volunteer with their school for a bit um, and the City Kids program. We also volunteered in their like commercial kitchen, uh-huh. which I'll be honest, that was the thing that I was like least looking forward to because yeah. I don't cook well. Um, Felicia does most of the cooking in our house, and even when I try, you know, she's typically helping out. Um, or just tells me to go pick something up because I'm not a chef. Um, So I was like not looking forward to volunteering in the kitchen and they have this guy on staff who was not there when I was before he started after the pandemic because he got laid off actually. But um, his name's Kevin and Kevin is amazing. (laughs) Um, Between the rescue mission and the school and the staff, he's feeding roughly 700 people a day. Wow. um, Monday through Friday. And sometimes more on Sundays. Um, and so, you know, he just comes in. And the, the crazy thing about how many people City Impact feeds 
is that they all do it for virtually free. Wow. Um, I, and I mean, like, I yeah, they pay Kevin, but like, all of the food that they get is donated, and so nice. And it's not just like, you know, random Kroger's or Walmart because they don't really have those. Like, but like trash like, can meat. It was like Trader Joe's, um, Whole Foods, and so like, um, what it is is these like big chain stores that are also like really high end quality. Um, when they realize that something is getting close to its expiration, but not there yet, they will just donate it to City Impact, and I'm sure they get a tax write-off or something yeah. for it. Um, but then City Impact gets all this food like on a daily basis. And then, so Kevin just like looks awesome. at these boxes of food coming in. And it's like, all right, what can I make with this? And so like, it's not <laughs> you gotta planned. be able to think on the fly. Yeah, which it's really impressive how he does it. Um, we all had a blast working with him. Um, I joked on our last day there with the guy who's in charge of all the missions teams. I was like, hey, if I bring a, a group back, like, can I just spend the whole week with Kevin? Like, I want to come back and like know how to be a chef. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so like while we were there, we got like this whole shipment of like Alaskan wild salmon this stuff was like $28 a pound wow just given to City Impact for free and so you know we're squeezing lemons and you know putting herbs and stuff I don't even remember what at this point but like and that was what we ate too that night because he was cooking for the teams as well and it was amazing that's awesome and so I was like man these like school kids from the inner city and then like some of these homeless people like they're getting super high quality nutritious food it's delicious and city impact didn't pay for any of it that's crazy um so yeah i mean like he cooked us steaks another night we were there um and it's like i'd feel guilty if they were paying for it but it's like it's all donations that's awesome um and that's it's been that way for years um even when i was there before trader joe's um, I think, have I told the story about like the conference? Uh-uh. So City Impact used to do this big conference before COVID. I don't know if they'll get back to it or not, but they did this big conference and this was back when Francis Chan was working with them. And, uh, Francis was like, I really feel like we need to feed like 6,000 people. <laughs> like, Sounds like Francis. <laughs> just the day of the conference. Like not talking about the Monday through Friday and stuff like this yeah. weekend, we're going to feed an extra 6,000 people. And, you know, even City Impact, which has seen some pretty miraculous stuff, was like, Francis, like, that's a lot of people. Like, where are we going to get the money and the food? And like, and he's like, let's just, let's pray about it. And so they were all fasting and praying. And like three days before the conference, they still had like no food, no donations. Like um, one of the pastors there was about to put it all on a credit card. Oh, wow. Like, well, Francis said we're going to do this and we got to figure it out. It's got to happen. And literally, like, as he was about to call, I don't know if it's Whole Foods or whoever, but um, to, like, place an order, Trader Joe's calls and was like, hey, um, I know we, like, donate to you guys, like, sporadically. All of our refrigerators at our warehouse just broke. Can we bring, like, an 18-wheeler full of meat? (laughs) (laughs) And this was, like, prime rib, like, super expensive steaks. And it was like exactly enough to feed 6,000 people. That's crazy. Um, and so, yeah, City Impact has a bunch of stories like that. Um, the founder, his name is Roger Wong. 
he wrote a book called Chasing God, and he talks about um, he grew up, I believe it was Taiwan, um, with non-believing parents, physically abusive father, real rough background, and the whole reason City Impact got started was Roger was driving home from work, car broke down um, in the tenderloin, didn't want to be there, was afraid of it, just like we would be afraid of it. And then um, he saw some like, probably like teenage boys harassing a younger boy, Uh and he felt real bad about it, especially coming from a physically abusive family, but he didn't do anything, and he went back, and um, he said he felt like God asked him like, what would you do if that was your son? He's like, well, if it was my son, like I'd go save him. And he said he felt like God said, well, they're all the same to me. Yeah. And so that next day, like he and his wife, whose name is Maite, um, went into the tenderloin with 50 sandwiches that they just bought on their own dime and just started passing out, ministering to the people there. And it just snowballed and snowballed into this huge, you know, multi-million dollar nonprofit, just doing all the various things that they're doing. That's awesome. And so, so yeah, I really hope that we can figure out some group. I'm not sure yet who, but some group from Calvary that is willing to go into the TL and, and it's definitely a niche. Like, I think you got some people that don't mind, you know, going across the street, kind of helping out. You got some people that don't mind, but you know, we even struggle, I think trying to help people understand that even Belize as rough as it can be, there's some really beautiful moments in there that uh, you don't even realize that there are other parts that could be completely unsafe. Like you're, <clears throat> there are moments where you don't, you don't recognize that there are things going on or things going down. And then all of a sudden it's, it's fine and it's chill. I remember we caught a lot of flack when we took our mission trip to Chicago. Um, I had to even email our, coordinator our project coordinator be like hey listen uh you can't put me in anything (laughs) anything dangerous because i've got parents from texas and they're not going to be happy if their kid is unsafe and they put us in one of the worst spots (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i did my best i tried but you know while we're there we're working you know there were some moments where we were like okay we're just going to buddy up and feel safe but there were some moments where my kids were like this is not fun like we don't enjoy this. That's, that's the hard part about working with people who have zero relationship with God or have zero care of a relationship with God that sometimes they just, they just want the handout and then they want to go on. Um, but every now and then you get that break in that moment where it's, it's really good and it's beautiful and you see how people get impacted because of the work that's being done. And I think that if you could get everyone to catch that vision in some way, um, I think that we could see more people volunteering because didn't you say one of the struggles that city impact had since COVID was the volunteer ratio to need because they just don't have as many volunteers that are signing up to come. Yeah. I think I heard, I think I heard him say pre COVID they averaged like seven to 8,000 volunteers a year. Yeah. Um, so obviously like that's a lot of people on a daily basis volunteering. Right. Um, to this last summer they were excited because they had 700 wow so part of that was during covid i mean like the city 
like shut they down, shut yeah. down like they weren't allowed to have volunteers um and then even when things like started to pick up like i emailed them probably over a year ago like when i was pretty fresh on the job here uh-huh. just sort of asking like hey like how's the city allowing volunteers now like what are you guys doing um and they told me it was extremely limited um i think at that time like because they have a school you could not volunteer unless you had the covid vaccine and i was like well i think like 80 percent of our church does not have it so like it's just not, yeah not gonna happen um and so when i reached back out again they were like oh nope all that's dropped like the city doesn't care anymore which you know funny how that happens but um <laughs> but so like yeah there was I was even surprised like how few people were wearing masks in the city. Really? Like, I really thought a lot of the locals and stuff would still be all masked up and nope. I mean somewhere, but yeah, it's amazing in two or three more years. We're probably not going to be even like, like, Oh yeah. I remember like oh, yeah. we had to do that. They were really pushing that vaccine. That's at one right. Point. I remember that. Um, <laughs> and um, I think that's just as things move and do. Yeah. We should probably watch out. Apple's going to flag us for, that's okay. Bad medical information. Listen, or Apple, but- we are not <laughs> saying that the vaccines and all that are terrible. We're also not saying that they're essential. So it's whatever. Um, <laughs> but we yeah, are indifferent, Apple. So, so back to your question. <laughs> City Impact has been needing more volunteers. Yeah. Um, they had to scale back some of their ministries because of the lack of help, and so, um, so yeah we would be one very small part of that of bringing a team of you know 5 10 15 20 whatever it is yeah um and we would just pluck away in all of those different things whether it's the kitchen rescue mission school city kids adopt a building yeah. um for a week or however long we're there and then be helping out in those ways the good news is anytime that you get people that can go on mission like that they usually can, they can come back to your local area with a fresh wind and just be like, wow, what are some things that we can do to better reach? Not just the people we want to, but our community, like our, our, like our, our area. Uh, And I think that's a, that's a trap that we all get kind of pushed into is we, we localize missions to an evangelism to people that we want to go to church with and not people that need a relationship with other people in the Lord. Um, And I think that that's, that's a big impact that I think has to be addressed within the local church across the world. I don't think it's just isolated to here, but I think it's in every town, every country. So there is some of those things that we have to look at, but I think when you can help people see that doing ministry and doing missions is, is great because it gives you a a fresh vision. It gives you that, that vigor and that energy to kind of move forward. Um, so that's why we always encourage people get plugged in, get involved. When we do first responders banquets, you know, that's, that's a way where we can look back and go, Oh wow. Now I see the purpose of why we did this. You know, when we can do, uh, working with our parks and rec department. Oh wow. Now I see why we did this. You're able to meet people that you probably never met, but you live, you know, five miles from. And so, uh, those things are, are impactful and they're important, not just to our presence within the community, but to our presence, um, just for for the kingdom be able to see that made known so i think that's a cool thing so well man anything else that you want to kind of throw at us from this or um my wife is blowing up my phone if you must know (laughs) the only thing that i don't think we 
talked about was like the danger or safety aspect. Um, oh, yeah. I think people might be interested in that. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So real quickly. You can bring a knife. It just has to be a small old-timer <laughs> pocket knife. That's not where I was going with that. Um, Sorry. <laughs> so people ask if the tenderloin is safe. Yeah. And it depends what you mean by safe. <laughs> um, like on the one hand, I can give a little speech about like, it's actually one of the least violent inner cities. Yeah. Um, there's a joke. It's a bad joke, but there's a joke that it's so poor the gangs don't want it. <laughs> so like I was explaining to Chuck and Crystal, um, it is what's called an open air drug market, which means the police will not get involved usually unless something gets violent. And uh-huh. so it's real obvious who the drug dealers are. They're just posted up on the corner passing stuff out to whoever comes up to them. Yeah. Um, and so the way that it usually works is that these are dealers coming in from Oakland and you could have two guys from a rival gang in Oakland come across on the subway and then they post up on a corner opposite of each other and they're not going to bother each other. Huh? Um, it's first come first serve. So if you show up on a corner, like that's your corner for the day and that's how the whole tenderloin is. And so you could have four different gangs on one street corner and zero violence. Wow. And so in one sense, like I would much rather take a group to San Francisco than to Chicago like you did. Oh, yeah. Um, like the number of shootings and stuff, like I would feel way safer in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, so if anybody's like worried about that, you know, talk to Chuck and Crystal, take you know, their experience into account too. But Crystal said, I didn't feel unsafe the entire time we were here. Yeah. Which I think says a lot for being someone from here going to an inner city like that. Um, now there's some things that are shocking, like stepping over human poop on the sidewalk or needles on the ground or like, there's some things that take getting used to. Yeah. But it's not like you're hearing gunshots go off. Yeah. Consistently. So in one way, it's a relatively safe inner city. Yeah. On the other hand, is it safe? Of course not. Yeah. Like there are terrible things happening all around you all the time. So, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it and pretend like, oh no, this is a perfectly safe. Like there is no harm to this in any way. It's like walking into Candyland. It's going to be great. Like it's a rough spot. Yeah. But kind of going back to the whole like, okay, do you believe the gospel? Yeah. Like, do you believe that these are all people who, yeah, maybe they've made a lot of bad choices, but like God is still willing to offer forgiveness to them if they would repent. Yeah. Like if you actually believe that, like, are you willing to go? And if you're not willing or able to go, like, would you help someone who does want to go financially or in whatever aspect, yeah. you know, um, or at a minimum, just pray for our safety when we do go, like, yeah. you know, like be involved in some form or fashion, even if you're not going yourself. So, um, is it safe? Yeah. yeah. Yes and no. But it's safe enough. <laughs> um, it's like the politician answer. It's like, <laughs> it's like, is the vaccine, is it safe? It's safe we, enough. We don't know that it's not safe. <laughs> uh, we haven't done enough research. But it's like, sorry, Apple. 11 of the 12 
apostles were martyred, right? Like yeah. there's there's no point that you'll find anywhere in the New Testament where God's like, hey, I want you to do ministry, but only where it's safe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some sketchy things even in, I mean, golly, when you think about the rampant stuff that was going on in the first century world, um, the way that people were treated and looked down upon, the way that, oh, gosh, I mean... Fed to lions. Yeah, I mean, lit this on is, fire. The sin problem hasn't, <laughs> from from my understanding, uh, the sin problem hasn't gotten better. Um, if anything, nope. it just continues to morph. Um, yeah, it looks different, but yeah, it's, it's still there. It's just morphing in different ways. Um, but at the root of it all, um, the issue that we have is people. Like we have to be responsible. We can't. I, like I don't imagine that you're going to send people into San Francisco into the Tenderloin District and go. Oh, we're going to change it. We're going to clean up this town. You know, I mean, it's, you're not going to do that, but through your efforts, you might be able to impart spiritual insight, wisdom, and formation into somebody's life. And they could have their own personal transformative change. It doesn't mean that the area around them is going to magically turn into bubble gum and, and, and butterscotch gumdrops overnight. Like it's no, it, but it, it does mean that there's one more person that has been, that has seen the light and has been enlightened. And so you have to really take the, you have to take things into small, I think small accounts. Um, and a lot of people, when they do mission trips, they don't want to do that. Like they want to see like, Oh, we've gone in there and now everything is completely different. It's like, yeah, I'm not saying that if we take a group, you'll never see San Francisco on Fox news again. Yeah. Right. Like city impact has been there since 1984. Yeah. And they're still there in the tenderloin is still the tenderloin. Yeah. But I think it's, on their YouTube channel and or their website, but they, they do these videos called like stories of change uh-huh. and they highlight just like one person at a time that they have impacted through the church, through street ministry, through all the different avenues. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, I'm not expecting for us to go and like the tenderloin will be this magical, perfect place. Yeah. But you can see lives changed one at a time. Yeah. And if that's someone's eternity, it's worth it. So, with that too, talking about people that live there, you said that city that the Tenderloin is what one square mile. Yeah, roughly. So you're looking at, I don't know, so many city blocks, and that's going to be their area. How many people live within that area? Just within that that section. So that they can count. Roughly, I believe it's um somewhere between like thirty four and thirty eight thousand people. So imagine the town of Nacogdoches crammed in one square mile. Yes. Like downtown. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's people who actually live there, like in the apartment buildings, according to census. That does not include the homeless, the homeless or- who probably like half of the homeless people in the city. So like 4,000 plus. Yeah. We're just like roaming the streets from Market Street to Venice. Um, so yeah, it, it's crazy. Um, but I was talking to the uh, the founder and his wife while we were there. I'm um, just kind of catching up since it had been so long. And, you know, they were saying like, it's still here. Like we still need help. But yeah, we see lives changed one at a time. Yeah. And it's how it's always been. And, you know, without some sort of revival. And I mean that in the truest form of the word, like that's yeah. just how it's going to be. 
one life at a time. Yeah. And do you think that's worth it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what it boils down to. I mean, I think even, you know, if we look at Nacogdoches, we could say, oh, well, you know, we're safe and secure here and everything's good. And, um, you know, I think that, that people have to come to an understanding that nowhere, nowhere are we truly safe. We may be shielded and we may be sheltered from some things, but that doesn't mean that we have safety. Um, and so I think that even here, people need to understand that our goal is not to do one event and see the entire community overturned and flocking to Jesus. That would be neat. It'd be incredible. But I think the reality that we have to look at is we hope to do one event. And in that process, somebody goes, man, that was really cool. Like, why did you do that? Um, every now and then we have people say, well, why did we spend so much money doing this event? Well, we're hoping that, you know, we're not a piggy bank. Number one, like we don't want to be sitting there just collecting money and then sitting on it and waiting for another, you know, piece of carpet that needs to be replaced. We're hoping that we can use every resource we have to reach our community. And even if one person, their life turns around because of that, and that was money well spent, you know, and it's just helping people get a better understanding of that. Like you may spend, cause, cause a mission trip to San Francisco is not cheap. It's going to be more expensive to do in state or in, in, in the U S mission trips than overseas at times. Um, because overseas the cost of things is so much different, but a mission trip to San Francisco, you're going to spend a pretty good chunk to go, uh, even with discounts from the church. But at the same time, you got to ask yourself, is it worth me spending this money to hopefully go and impact one person's life and see them changed? I would say, yeah, especially when the money you have is really just God's money that he's letting you borrow, uh, in reality because the resources we have financial or otherwise are just the resources that God allows us to borrow until he gives them to somebody else. And so, yeah. Well, and the good thing about a mission trip too, like is it gets you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Like it's one of those Christian cliches that I, I don't really like, but sometimes you need to be pushed. Yeah, challenged for sure and like you need to be somewhere that's a little uncomfortable yeah. but then also at the same time it's often easier to like share the gospel with someone on the streets in san francisco because it's like okay if they reject me like i don't ever have to see them again yeah like people would probably find it easier to talk about jesus with the homeless person in san francisco than their actual co-workers yeah and so it's like all right hey if this is easier like yeah you know, you wouldn't think inner city San Francisco is the easier place to start ministry, but it's like, if this is easier for you to like get some experience, like praying out loud with somebody yeah, or actually talking about what Jesus accomplished on the cross and resurrection, like then maybe that's a good step forward. And then you do bring that back here. Well, I think part of that's perception too, because you can go to a tenderloin district and you can see somebody and go, Oh my gosh, they have nothing like they look like they, they look and they act and they respond like they have nothing. You go to your coworker, your peer, who's making the same amount of money you are. It's got the same car, same house, same kids, same dog, same, you know, it's almost like a cookie cutter blueprint of who you are. And you're going, well, I mean, they're doing fine, but this poor person needs Jesus. But you know, this person over here who's making the same amount of money I am. They're doing fine. 
Why do why do they need Jesus? Because they don't have him. Like he's like because they're just doing fine. They're not living in hope and in righteousness. And so I think that's I think part of that's perception too. You gotta adjust people's perceptions to say the mission field is a great way to practice and learn. I think I say practice, but to really do the work of ministry mm-hmm. to also learn. But then when you get back, you can't only go reach poor people. Like you you have to adjust your perception to say, you know, this is this is this individual's life here. Yeah. This is their culture. This is their where they are. When I go back home, my mine's gonna look different than that. So how do I contextualize this message? To where I can be better impact where I'm at right now and not not have to wait till the next summer when I can go back to the poor people again. You yeah. know? Um and, and that sounds harsh and it sounds kind of mean, but that's the reality of it. I think that that's just human reality. Well, when someone's poor, it's easy. It's like, oh yeah, you need food. Yeah, I, I can, can help. do that. Yeah. <laughs> if someone, you know, has all of their material needs met, but you know, they're wrestling with whatever on the inside, like, yeah, sometimes that's a little harder. Yeah, that's more difficult. So, well, I mean, we could talk a little longer and longer and longer about uh, missions. And, um, and and I think that some of the things that we talk about, even within San Francisco, you're going to find those things even in, you know, when we do mission trips to Belize or when we go um, and do other types of, of mission opportunities. Um, but I think what we're discovering, our mission team uh, here at Calvary has been fantastic about wanting to explore multiple options to give people the opportunity to go on mission. And I think it's really a desire of that team to see everyone involved in missions in some way, um, not just in doing things like shoe boxes, which are super important and we love, not just doing uh, some of the outreach events that we do here, but really getting out there and being intentional about working with people um, and working with individuals. And so, you know, uh, hats off to them. Uh, our missions team for really doing that, for really working hard to find ways for that to happen. And we're going to continue to expound upon that. I know here at our church. So we hope that if you're listening um, and you haven't done a mission trip yet, the next opportunity one comes up, make plans, like make plans to try to do it. And sometimes the biggest mission opportunity you have is just where you are right now. Uh, at your work, at your home, um, at your church with the people that you're with on a regular basis. Sometimes that's the biggest missional need that is there in your context. Um, and the beauty of mission trips is you just get to take what you do every single day and just take it somewhere else. And so really, if you're interested in that, and there's some great books on being on mission, on missional living, uh, missional communities, what those look like, we would encourage you come talk to us. We want to point you in the direction that's going to help you do the most ministry good um, for the kingdom, not really for our church. Like we love our church and we, we think it's a great church, but we're not here to build a kingdom. The kingdom's already here. We're just hopefully going to be uh, allowing you guys to be more of a part of it and help you guys see it more. So um, any other thing you want to throw in there, Travis? Nope. Appreciate all the people who are praying for us. Hope we get to go again soon and hope you'll yeah. join us. Yeah. Well, the only thing that we forgot to mention on today is we are drinking coffee. Oh, yeah. Coffee hour. And Travis did bring back some sight glass coffee from San Francisco. Um, this is an Ethiopian. Um, Yurgachev. Yurgachev. I always say Yurgachev. Yurgachev. Yeah. That, that's the Texan in me. Like people are <laughs> like, that's not how you pronounce it. And I'm like, listen, all right. <laughs> I already have a Southern draw. Just let me have it. 
but um, it's good. We brewed some yesterday and I did a terrible job brewing it. Today was a much better job. It's a good clean cup, low acidity, I think. Um, fairly smooth, nice as it cools. It's kind of even as it's warm and as it cools. And so, um, but it's good. It's got some kind of floral notes to it. Less berry, more floral, yeah. I would think. Yeah. But, uh, and then hopefully on our next episode, we're going to have some El Salvador that is interesting because it's uh, from Seattle. And it is a former member of Calvary Baptist Church who is now in Seattle working as a head roaster for a company. And uh, she was so gracious to send me a bag because she's the bestest. And uh, we'll we'll do a little bit of review on that for the next time. But uh, if you got any questions, comments, concerns, uh, please feel free to reach out to us. We're we're pretty much open books. And uh, if you disagree with us, that's completely fine. Um, but if you agree with us and you are thankful for, for this, just let us know. Cause we want to, uh, man, we just want to just be excited with you. So goal for this week, live on mission, uh, just be out there and live on mission for the Lord. And if you need help on, on what that might look like for you, come talk to us. We want to help you. So other than that, man, we hope you guys have a blessed week and we will talk to you soon.